Hey everyone, before we begin this episode of the Berman Hour podcast, I want to take a moment to thank you for your support for the last year and a half. It has helped the Berman Hour podcast grow into what it is today. And if you're thinking, how can I help the Berman Hour podcast? Well, I've got some answers for you. First, you can rate us five stars. That's so helpful. Next, you could write us a nice review. It could even be dirty or vulgar, as long as it's nice. That's all we care about. Next, you can subscribe. Hitting that subscribe button on whatever platform you are listening to us right now is so incredibly helpful, getting us into the algorithms and into the rankings. And last, of course, you can support the people that support us, our wonderful sponsors, New Wave Flow State Coffee. They are an independently owned and run coffee company that have made the best coffee going today. It's coffee blended with raw cacao and L-theanine, which is a tasteless, odorless, harmless, helpful, encouraging amino acid that naturally reduces stress and anxiety. And when you drink this New Wave Flow State Coffee, you're going to be more focused. You're going to feel fantastic. And let me help you get 10% off your order. Go to newwave.co slash berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. I'm drinking a cup of it right now. Yes, let's get it. Newwave.co slash berman. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast. All right, let's get started. I'll get it. Hello and welcome to the Berman Hour podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is another Jeff. Jeff Dean from the band Heavy Seas. He was also in the band Airstream Futures. He was in very many bands. We'll just leave it at that. Heavy Seas has a new record out right now that's fantastic called Everything Breaks. I highly encourage that you check that out. And we're going to keep it short and sweet today. We're going to get right to this interview with Chicago's own Jeff Dean from Heavy Seas. Let's go. I'm doing all right. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I was thinking about this. Have we met before? I don't think our bands have ever played together in Chicago. You look familiar. Like, I feel like we might have crossed paths over the years. So are you Chicago born and raised? No, I'm, I'm from Las Vegas originally. Really? But I, I, moved, I moved here in the 90s. Wow. What was it like growing up in Vegas? <laughs> You know, when I was young, it didn't seem like it just seemed like any other town until I actually like moved away and then realized how fucking insane it was there. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like I, I remember like so I left Vegas to move to Detroit to play in a band called Cleons Down with uh, Jay from Suicide Machines. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I got out there, we were like hanging out in like a friend's basement drinking beers and someone was like all right, we got to finish these up. It's last call. I'm, I'm like, what do you, we got to go back to the store. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I didn't understand what's happening. They're like, you can't buy beer after two. I was like, my mind was blown. Did you hear they're doing a punk rock museum in Vegas? Have you heard about this? <laughs> no, it seems crazy to me. I think it's Fat Mike and the Stern brothers who are doing it. And 
the only thing they said that they're not doing is that it's not going to be a music venue. And I thought it's oh, interesting because interesting. it's like everyone kind of descended on Vegas like years after I left. Like there was like there was a fun local scene and there was some fun bands and whatnot, but it was like I mean, no one really came there. You yeah. know, I mean I mean Bad, Bad Religion would play pretty frequently and no effects every now and then. And then you would get like there's this place called the Hunter's Theater that was, I mean, wasn't a massive venue, but it was a bigger venue. And I mean, I saw like Jesus and Mary Chain there and like Sugar on the Copper Blue tour, like those kind of bands would come through. But it was like not like many punk bands sure. would come through. I mean, Fugazi came through in 93 and that's the only band like that I can think of. It was just like, I mean, most of the shows were in the desert, you know? Yeah, that's not a bad list though Sugar, no <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you could do worse but, but you know what i mean it's uh, i mean, in a city yeah. like chicago like it's it's like a, a must stop on everyone's tour you know whereas like vegas everyone just kind of bypasses to get to la you know yeah well how did you get to chicago from detroit when i was playing in Cleons down uh suicide machines got signed basically right at the same time that mine and jay's band started and so Jay being like one of my best friends and one of the, and a rad dude, he's like, well, you can just come on the road to suicide machine. So I went on the road with those guys, like all of 96, like that whole era of destruction by definition. And it, that was a wild ass time. But by, by 97, I mean, those guys, I stopped roading for them and they were gone all the time. Yeah. And clans down, like, I mean, we brought this guy Ben Forson to sing like lead and Jay was just playing guitar and doing backups by that point with the intent that we could still do the band while Jay was on tour. But it just like, it got to a point where we weren't doing enough for me to justify being out there. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I moved out here to play music. I'm not playing music all the time. And my, my, my first band, my old hardcore band tomorrow's gone. We had had a record come out. And I was kind of loosely still playing in it, like while I was living in Detroit, like I'd fly back on holidays and shit like that. And once that record was coming out, I was like, okay, I'm just going to move back to Vegas and we're going to go on tour. And so I packed up everything and went back home. And when I got there, like, literally like the day before we were supposed to leave for this tour, the band broke up. That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, and I really <laughs> didn't want to live back in Vegas, but I started another band called Zero and Trust, and that was a, I really liked that band, but it only lasted about nine months. And my ex at the time, she was from Detroit, and she was like, I want to leave Vegas. I'm, I'm just not into this anymore. And I'm like, well, I'm not moving back to Detroit. And it was like, maybe Chicago. And I, I had friends here, like I knew, you know, I was friends with Brendan Kelly, and I knew Skiba and Glenn and Heather like that alkaline trio of people. And I was like, I really like Chicago. The time I've spent there, fuck it. Let's, let's just move to Chicago. And then I never left. <laughs> You're in Chicago. When did you dive into doing your own recordings and doing production? Was that something that you always had done or was that something that you came into later? Um, I was always fascinated with, with equipment and stuff like that. My dad works in radio. And so when I was a kid, like, I have very vivid memories of like going to like the radio station with my dad and seeing all the fucking, you know, big ass machines and stuff. So I was always fascinated with it. And 
around it's probably around like 1999 there was like there there used to be a really like fancy recording studio here called studio chicago and they started doing like recording classes out of the studio and i was like all right i'm gonna go take some recording classes and the guy who was my teacher this guy gary khan who ended up teaching at columbia for a little bit him and i really hit it off and Al, the guy that owned the studio, him and I really hit it off. And they're like, you want to intern here? I'm like, yeah, okay. So I started interning at the studio. And I mean, I would do like the most garbage shit. Like I'd clean like fucking ashtrays out of the lounge yeah. all day. Or like clean the toilets in the bathroom. And then at the end of the night, maybe one of the engineers would let me sit in the back of the room and watch them mix a record, you know? So... I kind of just fell into it like that. It was like, I had the curiosity and like wanted to do it. And then I just right place, right time. And I mean, I learned a lot from those guys, but then it got to a point where like my, my, my daughter was born and I was playing in the band, the story so far, and we were trying to tour and stuff like that. And I just didn't have enough time between all of it for it to work like something had to give sure uh, and i was like all right well i'm just gonna put recording on the back burner i want to fucking tour so i did that for a really long time and i was working at a guitar store and this guy andy gerber was started working there and he owns the, this recording studio million yen that I mean, everyone like cheap chicks recorded there local age smoking popes like it's got a pretty like awesome history and Andy knew that like I kind of messed around and like went to school and he just made me an offer this one day. He was like, hey, dude, I want some, I'm burnt out. I want someone to come in and start doing recordings. And I was like, well, I'm still touring. I'm still playing and trying to play in bands full time. Like if you're OK with me not being obligated to bring in like a certain amount of business. And he was like, look, dude, just do what you can do when you're around. And that kind of just opened the door for me. It was like oh, once cool. I was in there and like had the ability and had a studio at my disposal, I was like, it, it ended up like being that the recording stuff started becoming as most as much important in my life as playing in a band. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask is because I knew that you had that background, but the new Heavy Seas record was produced by two prominent producers. And so I was curious, was it, difficult for you to kind of release the reins to rodrigo and and jay well jay and i have made a lot of records together like i think we've made like 10 fucking records together like he he did basically like he he recorded and mixed the first two bomb records and then the last two i recorded and he mixed them and then he mixed the four star alarm album for me and then like we've just we've i mean we have like a yeah, I mean, we're really good friends and we've worked a lot together. I needed to take a step back on the record because I was so immersed in it, if that makes sense. Sure. Like, I was like, I can't do all of it. Like, I need I need somebody here to do part of this so I can just, like, focus on playing guitar or, like, or even, like, you know, like, are these songs any good? Even, you know what I mean? And so, like, I trust Jay and I knew that he would, I knew he would, he, I knew he was the right guy to help, you know? Yeah. How did Rodrigo then, come into the fold then? Well, so Rodrigo and I have known each other since back in Detroit. Like he played in Empire State games when I was playing in Cleons Down and we used to play 
shows together all the time and skateboard together. And so, I mean, we go way back and we're, we're, we're pretty tight dudes. And when we were doing the Airstream Futures albums, I felt like we like hit like the first record him and Derek Grant produced. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like Devin needed a little bit of guidance because she had never really been in a band before. This was like kind of like technically her first real band. And they just they worked well with her. So, I mean, they did such a great job with her. And then by the second record, it was just Rodrigo mostly producing. And I just knew that, like, on the vocal side of things, since I never sang lead in a band before, like, I just wanted some someone that I trusted to bounce ideas off of. Yeah, you, you know need a mean? level of comfort when you're in the vocal booth. Well, just like, I mean, could I technically have recorded everything myself? Yes. But would I have been able to, like, step back and, like, really, like, focus on these things and also like be critical enough to you know get the songs to their you know fullest potential you know so i trust both of those dudes and they just seemed like they would be the right guys you know yeah but i I did i I mean jay jay recorded the bass and the drums for that record and kind of like we kind of he helped like some structure stuff wise with the music but i ended up i mean I, i recorded all the guitars myself and then I mean, Rodrigo produced the vocals, but I, I mean, I, I, I Jay engineered half of it. I engineered the other half and then Jay mixed it. Yeah, people don't realize that when you're a singer and you're in the vocal booth, it can kind of feel like you're standing on quicksand sometimes because if you get into a bad vibe or you just feel like you're not doing as well, and if the person on the other side of that window, right, the person yeah. that's, that's at the board is less than encouraging and you just if you end up in a deflated mode you just sink and then you don't get any work done and it's a gigantic waste of time so it's interesting to me that you would make those kind of chess pieces but i'm i'm or those chess moves rather because i feel like that's what a lot of people are are wanting to do normally and because you know these people well like you were able to do that but was it also out of necessity because i know that you guys kind of had plans to get the record done and then the pandemic hit or you had part of the record done and then then the pandemic hit so was it really a matter of both desire and logistics trying to figure this out during the pandemic or was that always the plan to kind of use rodrigo for his strengths while you're in the vocal booth and use jay for drum and bass i mean it's been a while now and there's been so much shit that's happened that it's like your memory kind of like is convoluted but i think when we went the idea originally was is that we were going to do the the drums and bass with jay and then i was going to bring the stuff back and do all the guitars and then i was going to take it back to jay and do the vocals with jay but then like you said the pandemic hit and you know rodrigo and evan from into it over it have like a little like kind of like a small studio space that they've been using and i was like okay if I talk to Rodrigo, like we we can, and we can just do vocals in his little space. It's like it's not going to cost as much money, and we're going to have to spread this out over a long period of time because of the pandemic. You know, it's not like okay, book three days and let's go rip vocals. You know, it's like do a song this day and then come back a couple weeks later and then do this one. You know, so it just it just seemed like from a practical sense that that was the best way to approach it to actually get the record done. Yeah, as opposed to going back to Baltimore 
some Magpie Studios with with Jay and and making that trek and doing all of that. It made sense to stay in Chicago and do it. Do well, it. I mean, it's like if if I want if I really wanted to hold out to do that with Jay, I mean, I'd probably just be finishing the vocals now. You know? Yeah, you've been in a lot of bands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and this is kind of a uh, this is kind of a cosmetic observation, but something that I think is quite fitting for the band. Have you ever had a better fitting sounding band name that matches the style of music that you're playing than Heavy Seas? It kind of makes sense, right? It does. Like I uh, I kind of slept on this record. I think it came out in July, right? And we're talking yeah. at the end of August. So I just heard this about uh, two weeks ago. So I was about a month late to it. But when I, when I first heard it, the wall of sound guitars that you have created from crafting your style for these decades at this point, it really does invoke that imagery of something oceanic, something monumental, something very, very bigger than big. And with that's, that's really bands, nice of you to say. Yeah, you. sure. You're <laughs> very welcome. But the other bands that you've been in, not to say that, you know, The Bomb or All Eyes West aren't good band names. You know, I'm in Divided Heaven, which is like, one level above Hoobastank of like the shittiest band names that have ever I, I, existed. I, I never thought that. I never thought that was a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> You're being too kind. <laughs> it's not as bad as Hoobastank, right? That's that's the that's the bar we have to clear. <laughs> but yeah, it, was that? Um, I hope that is Hoobastank the benchmark. <laughs> yes, exactly. Was it a matter of? I'm kind of curious, like, did you have this band name idea and then you kind of built the sound around it? Or did the band name come to you after you had crafted this sound over the past 25 years? So I, the band name's funny. The last time that Airstream Futures toured the UK, like, we were driving. I don't even remember where we were, like, but, like, by, you know, along the coast or something. And there was a sign that just said, Heavy Seas, like, you know, something or something about, like, the the weather conditions and i was sure. like i'm like that's a kick-ass band name i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that in my in my pocket and so what when it i was just like i was like i knew that's what i was gonna call this when we started it but i i, I don't I, I mean do they do, does the sound and the name mirror each other like i guess maybe i guess maybe you know i knew with this with this pro with this band the songs that i wanted to write like i feel like the, i feel like that's like that that mid 90s like what we used to call emo sound yeah like i don't feel like that really exists anymore you know what i mean like i don't feel like i hear bands that sound like that like sound like kerosene 454 hoover or fucking you know shot maker and you know like just like these boombastic kind of yelly angular guitar bands like i just yeah. don't feel like i feel like it's like a lost sound and i love that shit so i was like i <laughs> i was literally i'm like i want to fucking write like write songs and do a band that basically sounds like some kind of fucked up mesh between kerosene 454 and oasis that was exactly what i i, I thought to myself and so that this band is kind of what <laughs> whatever my mind interpreted that mesh to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like Heavy Sea sounds like Oasis. 
I don't feel like we sound like kerosene 454 other than like the boombastic drumming, but that was, that was my, that was my angle, you know? Yeah. I could see that being a good geographic midpoint though. I mean, that makes sense. I I wanted to do something that had that vibe of that mid nineties really fucking like just, you know, in your face wall of music, but with like some kind of like melody to it, you know? Right. Right. And it was done with a lot of texture. You know, you guys seem very much like a heavy band, but I feel like if you're in a venue that let's say, uh, let's say you're playing quenchers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I feel like it's <laughs> going to be a different experience than in, than if you're at, um, you know, the G man or, or, or something bigger, that's like better built for that sound, Yeah. which is going to be a different experience than you might get on the record. I feel like to the naked eye, <laughs> To the naked eye at Quenchers, you guys would probably be viewed as, or, or I would at least peg you guys as a very, very heavy band. But listening I'm, to the I'm nuance... I'm still the asshole that rolls up with two half stacks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I'm like... but, right, but that nuance, um, I'm, it doesn't get lost on the record. Rather, it's just accentuated and, and better balanced with everything else. So it's a really, really beautiful, heavy record without being over the top you know it's like it kind of the sound kind of enfolds you like i haven't heard a record sound like this in uh in a long time so either i'm not paying attention or you guys tapped into something really special i really appreciate that i i definitely wanted like you know bands like swerve driver and dinosaur jr and stuff like that are like some of my all-time favorite bands and i definitely wanted i mean always west like i've ever like garrett from planes mistake for stars he's like you guys sound like shugazi i'm like what he's like shugaze fugazi i'm like <laughs> i love that and so i was like you know so it's like with always west it's definitely like especially on the on the later records kind of tapping into some of that kind of you know like melty kind of sounding guitar movements like i'm not like a pedal guy like it's not my jam i'm like very much like just plug in and turn everything up but you, you know can tell I mean? that there's like a there's a, a finesse or a nuance to your guitar sound because, and I can speak from experience for this as well, when you're the only guitar player in the band, you have to make it beefier. You, you need to make it more dynamic so that it fills out more of the space, especially when you're so used to playing with, I, I don't know if it's like this for you. I feel like we always played with bands that had two guitar players. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was like, how do you compete with that just sonically if you're following up with that, let alone like the stage presence and all of that? So it was a matter of really crafting a tone, but you don't do that. Well, you just plug in and rip. I just plug in and rip. I mean, I I mean, I learned how to play guitar by you know playing along to like Dag Nasty, Can I Say, and like Husker Du and Bob Mold records, and the way that you know, especially Brian Baker at the time, like circa Dag Nasty, there's a lot of open notey things that are happening within the playing. You know what I mean? So it's like he's covering a lot of space. And I mean, Bob Mould's the same way. It's just like this wall of sonics. And so that's kind of where I picked up that stuff. So it's like, I mean, I bear, like I don't use power chords a lot. I mean, there's like things that are built off like power chord voicings, but I don't like, I rarely just play like shit, you know, but yeah. I, I try to save those kind of moves. Like I thought, like I remember, like I'm like, 
the name, the power chord, I was like, I want to use it in a way that expresses what that name is. So it's like, if I hit a part when I'm fucking nailing just like a regular power chord, I want that to fucking nail, like hit you, you know? I don't want that to be the base of the sound. I want I want openness. I want like textures. And then if I hit that, you're like, whoa, okay. Like, fuck, that was crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like it's almost like the opposite of like w- the way most guitar players think. It's like, here we, you know, bar chord through this song and then get to the middle and do some cool stuff. Like I try to keep all the openness to all the verses and the and shit, you know? Well, it also gives the bassist then room to breathe so that they can essentially twofold hold down the rhythm with what the drummer's doing. You have a fantastic drummer, by the way. Oh, thank you. And a great bass player too. But also then the bass can kind of provide that backbone for what you're not doing on the guitar. Well, with all all eyes West, that's like a lot of stuff really started to take shape in the way I was thinking about songs because if you listen to that band, the bass is the lead instrument in that band. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was telling Justin this the other day, like I have like such a fucking level of respect for him being the bass player and the singer in that band, because he's not just like chugging along with the guitars. There's bass hooks and bass leads. The bass has the melody of all those always West songs. And he's playing that shit and singing it all well. I'm just like, dude, hands down. I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's fucking insane to me. Like, especially now after like, you know, playing and singing in a band it's like i just i can't even believe he pulls that shit off but like so you listen to all his west there's like there's lots of textures and it's like crazy but there's lots of times where i'm just doing one thing like i'm just like just i'm just gonna ride this note for like fucking eight bars because the bass is keeping the melody going you know mm-hmm. and so it's like with the heavy seas it's like I, I i try like i try to give katie room to kind of like do her thing you know what i mean it's like i don't want the guitars to step on what like cool shit she's coming up with because her and ronnie like really lock in well like they're a fucking they're, yeah, they're, they're a, a great rhythm section the, yeah but it's like a maximizing of of everybody's efforts essentially how the hell did you get not one not two but three record labels involved that sounds like an emailing <laughs> nightmare. And with all due respect to all of these labels, but how 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 do you do that? Well, so I talked to Andy at Sell the Heart originally about the Heavy Seas record, and he was yeah. just like he was all over. He's Andy's such a great guy. I really really like that dude a lot. And so I was like, okay, yeah, we're doing the record with Andy. And so uh, Graham from Little Rocket Records. He, he puts out the Airstream Futures stuff and he put out the Moral Mazes, the last Moral Mazes seven inch for me. And then he put out this record, this project that I did called Tight Night as well. So Graham and I have worked a lot together and I, I love him to death too. He's a really, he's just fucking awesome. And his record label's rad. But so Graham like heard the Heavy Seas record after I'd already agreed to do it with Andy. And he's like, I have to put this out. I'm like, I'm working with this other dude. He's like, well, I'm going to put it out in Europe and Canada. I'm like, okay, well, I'll put you guys in touch then. (laughs) And so then they start like sorting stuff out. And then 
And Andy with Sell the Heart, it's more mail order these days. And I, it was really important to me that you could find this album in a record store. Like, I still go to record stores. Like, yeah. I don't download music. I go to the fucking store and I flip through records and I buy them. You know, like, I just call me old or purist or whatever. But, you know, going to the record store is like a big part of the experience of buying music for me. So it was super important that this album be in a fucking store. And so Josh at Brad Girlfriend has been handling all the little rockets distribution for, for America. And so then Josh came in, he's like, okay, I'll help put it out in America as well. I'll handle the distro. Like I'll do like Midwest East coast shit. And you can take care of West coast. And then Graham's like, and I'll do Europe and Canada. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, let's do all of that. <laughs> That's a fucking plan. That's a good fucking plan. How I don't you... think it. I don't think it would have worked out if everybody wasn't such great people. Right. Of course. You know what I mean? Like everyone's just been really, like, really cool and really into the record and super supportive, and like, really got behind it. So, like, I can imagine like a situation like where it could have been a fucking disaster, but it it worked. It's worked out really well. A three-piece band playing to each other's musical strengths and not stepping on each other's toes and keeping it within their own territory, making something very, very exciting, matches the idea of three independent record labels concurrently working together in different territories. So I just applaud all around, for sure. You guys are... <laughs> you put one hell of a team together, man. That's awesome. It's been rad. I appreciate that. <laughs> so how is the, uh, presumably, was this kind of a re-release or did it really take you guys this long into the pandemic to kind of finish everything with the record? It really, it really took this long. Yeah. Like, it. sorry, hold on a second. There we go. Oh, there you are. Sorry, spam call on my phone. <laughs> um, well, so, I mean, it, the pandemic's what sidelined everything, right? It was yeah. like we 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 tracked the drums and bass and like not even two days. Like we went out to Baltimore and Katie and Ronnie were just so dialed in, like we knocked that shit out super quick. And then I came back to Chicago and I did my guitars and like for the whole record in like a day. Like like we were like musically we're on point. And then you know with everything hitting and everyone's lives getting turned upside down and the world going this shit that's where like we were saying like that's where the stuff with rodrigo came in and it really yeah. was just like how can we finish this record like i can't like there was such a spontaneity and like excitement to like all these songs coming together and like the plans and like everyone being really fired up like i couldn't let that that excitement die you know what i mean uh-huh and so it was like, okay, we will do whatever we have to do to make this work as long as we're working on this fucking record. So, I mean, it, it took us, I think, I think I started tracking vocals at in April and we didn't finish anything until like the end of August. Yeah. And the only reason was because we had to keep spreading things out and, you know, precautions and just like, it just took that long to, to like from a scheduling standpoint and trying to be responsible and making sure everyone was safe 
to get the fucking music done, man. It's, it was fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then once we finally got it done, it took, you know, Jay's schedule was pretty booked. So it took like, it was like another month and a half before you could mix it. But we had the, the record was done. I think last November we it was completely finished. And then it just took a little bit of time to get everything sorted with the record labels. And then, I mean, you know how bad pressing plants are backed up now. It's insane. I mean, it, it like, it just, it dragged forever to get the vinyl pressed. And I was really like intense. Like, I don't like when records come out and then the vinyl's like a couple months off. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you want to pre-order, put a pre-order up or something so people buy it. That's cool. But like, I feel like it just, it kind of minimizes the impact of the music. If it's just like, oh, here it is online. And then, hey, the record will be here in four months. And it's like, no, one, everyone's attention spans for shit these days. You know? I saw that you were doing home delivery throughout Chicago for people who wanted the record. That's yeah. a great idea. How's that? <laughs> yeah, Katie. Katie's smart like that. <laughs> yeah, that's She's like, cool. I think I'm, we're going to do this thing. I'm like, awesome. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Any way to get it in the people's hands, you know? And there you have it, my conversation with my new friend, Jeff Dean from Heavy Seas. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on the podcast, and thank you to your team for putting us in touch. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast, and of course, get your new favorite coffee delivered to your home, courtesy of the Berman Hour podcast. Newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. All right, let's get it. I'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Berman Hour podcast. Let's go.